Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast with Andy Bush. I'm Andy Bush. This is Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast, a rollercoaster journey through the life of one of music's most wild personalities. Beethoven had that kind of vibrancy, danger and energy that I think we look for in music. It's what makes bands interesting. It's what gives you butterflies, that pit of stomach feeling when you're waiting down the front for them to walk on stage in a gig. And this is his 250th anniversary. We wanted to do something nice for him. He's pretty much got everything else. And I think that weekly craft beer delivery wasn't really doing much for him last year. So far, we've looked at his infamous concerts, his love life, his skills as an improviser. In this episode, we're going to focus on his ill health and how it affected his life and his music. Episode 9, Beethoven's Health. Let's now turn to the elephant in the room when you're exploring the life story of Ludwig van Beethoven, his deafness. Leader of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, Maya Iwabuchi. The ensuing deafness that he experienced in his late 20s was what... Uh, really, really took hold of his personality. Um, He wasn't in control anymore, really, of how he behaved uh, towards others because of the utter tragedy of losing his hearing. And this affliction would have exacerbated all of his worst qualities. Clarinetist Julian Bliss tells us more. Between the age of 27 and 30, Beethoven said that his hearing had grown steadily weaker. And by the age of 44... He was completely deaf. Beethoven did continue to play and conduct throughout the time he was going deaf, but it wasn't without its problems. He destroyed pianos because he would have to play so loud and hit them so hard in order to hear the notes. On the other hand, he played the quiet part so softly that quite a few of the notes couldn't even be heard. He avoided social gatherings because he didn't want people to know. He became a recluse, and with his world falling in around him, Beethoven's personal hygiene hit an all-time low, with one visitor horrified to find a filled-to-the-brim chamber pot under the piano. Well, there's no way Beethoven could claim he didn't have a pot to... Anyway, things had got pretty bad. He avoided social gatherings and was scared to admit to people that he was deaf. But what sort of impact did all this have on his composing? How was he able to write music if he couldn't hear it? Here's clarinetist Julian Bliss. Given his genius and knowledge of composing for so many years, and the fact his hearing loss was gradual, he still knew what instruments and voices sounded like, so could continue to compose. And there are pieces that he composed solely from the sounds within his own head. His housekeepers recounted that they would see him put a pencil in his mouth, touch the other end to the piano so that he could feel the vibration of the note. If ever the street-fighting, never-say-die, refusal-to-be-beaten spirit of Beethoven was manifest, then surely it's in this MacGyver-like workaround for listening to the sound of his piano despite being deaf. Cellist Matthew Barley provides an overview of Beethoven's later works. The legacy that Beethoven left um, was so, so... Uh, coloured by the fact of his deafness because his withdrawal from concert life meant that he composed more and more and more 
and particularly the works that he composed in the last 10-15 years of his life, the late period. These are works of astonishing introspection and that kind of music making had never really been heard before. Composers really uh, writing from the depths of their heart and their psyche, maybe from the unconscious even, in a way that classical music hadn't heard before. Stephen Huff offers an overview of Ludwig's ongoing health issues. He also had all kinds of other illnesses. Uh, you know, he had terrible digestive issues his whole life with constipation and diarrhea, and he had skin conditions, and he drank too much, and he was depressed, and he never washed. And, you know, his whole life outside of music was, was a total mess, you know. But in the music, uh, everything is always so wonderfully well thought out and and indeed i wouldn't say neat and tidy that's certainly not what one thinks of with beethoven but there is an, an incredibly powerful intelligence behind every note that he wrote one thing that we've touched on across this series is how beethoven's music didn't always reflect what was going on in his life somehow the music was able to transcend his own struggles and take on a life of its own pianist stephen huff has more there is almost no one i can think of in the arts who was so able to transcend his own personal suffering. You never feel self-pity and hear self-pity in Beethoven. He's, he's one of the most positive forces. And I think this is, it's no accident why when something like the Berlin Wall fell down, it had to be Beethoven that you played. There's no other composer who has that set sense of triumph over adversity. And of course, at the present time, uh, dealing with this terrible virus, I mean, he is the perfect composer to have there because the, you know the answers he brings to these difficult questions are not simplistic he's not like saying oh cheer up there's never that kind of pollyanna thing about beethoven he recognizes the full significance of of his own suffering and of the difficulties that people have around him but somehow there's a triumph that surges through and i find that to be so inspiring in his music Conductor Karen Hendrickson's choice of the one Beethoven piece that she feels demonstrates his importance today is a great example of this positivity shining through despite the pain, because he wrote it around the time he fully confronted the fact that he was losing his hearing. For me, I think I go back to Beethoven's Second Symphony, and I go back to it for its musical qualities, but actually also for its pure emotional joy at a time in his life. This is um, the second symphony is 1802, right around the same time he had finished the Heiligenstadt Testament. I believe he wrote that testament in the summer while he was in Heiligenstadt. He was trying to take a rest and to regain some of his hearing. And the second symphony, I believe, was premiered in October of 1802. Uh, there will be great musicologists out there who will either confirm or um, correct that information. But um, off the top of my head, it's this timeline and this second symphony just roars with joy and for a man as talented and as gifted as Beethoven was not just as a player but also as a composer who realized the one quality he needed in his life to really fulfill possibly his legacy was going to disappear that of his hearing and yet he makes a choice in this, he reveals the choice in this letter, I would die but for my art. And in that same time, he gives us the second symphony, which is one of the most completely joyous pieces of music that Beethoven leaves. Um, and 
I think this symphony for me, it's not just about the musicality of it, but it's about the personality of it. It's about the the demand that Beethoven puts on himself to keep going. And I think it's a piece of music that everybody uh, should listen to and come to experience Beethoven's will to continue. And what a great reminder for all of us right now. opening movement of Beethoven's Symphony No. 2. That was chosen by conductor Karen Hendrickson as a great example of how Beethoven could capture joy in his music even during his darkest moments. Cellist Matthew Barley explains why he picked Beethoven's Cello Sonata No. 3 as his desert island Ludwig. It was the time where he was really having to accept that he was going to be deaf forever. This was not going to go away. He felt humiliated and depressed by that. He had con- contemplated suicide uh, he had financial problems, he had family problems, he had legal problems. The, the things were really mounting up against him. And suddenly he pens this cello sonata, which is really one of the greatest cello sonatas ever written, that's without a doubt. And in my opinion, it's also one of the happiest. There are passages of such extraordinary sunniness. And, and just to imagine Beethoven sitting there with all these extraordinary problems, very real and existential around him, uh, writing this piece of, of such optimism and beauty. I find that very moving. And for me, why that's so important to us today is that is that because that, I think, is one of the most powerful functions of art, is that it can bring us solace when times are really difficult. Ludwig van Beethoven died on the 26th of March, 1827, at the age of 56. Jack Pepper shares the story of his final moments. For a man who was often known for his stormy tantrums, the man who would break eggs and throw them at servants if he wasn't happy with them, we shouldn't be surprised that supposedly Beethoven died in the middle of a thunderstorm. The story goes that he had had a row with a family member and travelled a long distance in an open-top carriage. He caught a chill and was bedridden as a result. And when he died in 1827, supposedly the rain was lashing down at the window, thunder crashing in the background, and Beethoven rose in his bed, shook his fist at the sky, and that was his final action. Even in his final moments, he's in combat and in conflict, cursing the clouds. 
It's almost as if there was a storm in the heavens as the gods came down to reclaim one of their own. Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics. The podcast with Andy Bush. Now, I don't know if it's a cliffhanger to end this podcast on Beethoven's death. It's not really a spoiler, but it feels like a good place to pause because in the next and final episode, we'll explore his legacy. What is it about his music that's endured over the centuries? What is it about seeing a poster of him that still slightly makes you feel a bit scared when you see him on the underground? Not in a bad way, it's just something about the guy. I hope you're enjoying our bite-sized guidelines to this great composer. If you fancy spreading the word, do us a favour, give us a nice review, tell your friends, bring him into the family. And thanks as ever to the musicians who helped shed some light on Ludwig. In this episode, we heard from Mai Iwabuchi from the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, clarinetist Julian Bliss, cellist Matthew Barley, pianist Stephen Huff, conductor Karen Hendrickson, and Scala Radio presenter and composer Jack Pepper. In this podcast, we heard clips of Beethoven's Second Symphony, played by the Britain Symphonia, and his cello sonata number three, played by Leonard Elschenbroek and Alexei Gronjik which is available on Onyx Records. Other extracts were provided by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and Signum Classics. Right, that's all for the penultimate episode. I'll see you in the final episode of Beethoven The Basics as we look at his legacy. See you then. <laughs>